Revelation chapter 2 is where we will be. Hopefully you have a study guide. If not, there's possibly a couple more out there, maybe. Not really sure. All right, Revelation chapter number 2. Um, as I told you last week, we're going to take our time as we go through these seven churches, the letter that John is writing that is given from Jesus Christ. And then we'll speed things up a little bit uh, when we get past the seven churches after the end of chapter 3, uh, from chapter 4 on. Um, just because I don't want to dwell too much on some of these things, because really I, I think the, the integral part of the book is the first three chapters and the ap- application that we gain from these chapters. So uh, looking forward to uh, what God has for us tonight. All right, Revelation chapter number 2. Let's go ahead and start reading. Uh, we're going to start in verse number 8. Verse number 8. Um, the Bible says, again, this is John writing to the seven churches. Last week we talked about the church at Ephesus. Here we have in verse number 8, And unto the angel, uh, the pastor, the messenger of the church in Smyrna. Uh, so when you, when you study these churches out, again, these are historical churches uh, that were there in uh, Asia Minor, which is really kind of modern-day Turkey. Uh, and really, they're kind of, they go up the coastline. So, started with Ephesus, and they go up the trade route, the postal route, uh, following along. So, we have Ephesus, then Smyrna, and then Pergamon, uh, and then several others to follow. And unto the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. So, remember, as Jesus is giving these uh, words of encouragement, a lot of times we reference back to what was already talked about in Revelation chapter 1, as well as what will come in the end of the book as well. Uh, the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works, thy tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison." that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear to hear, uh, or sorry, he that hath an ear, uh, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Uh, So again, this is an x-ray of the church, or of the churches here in Asia Minor, and there are so many applications that we can make for ourselves in the modern day era, in the modern day church. There's so many applications that we can make. And remember, there are several characteristics that we see that are distinctive and they follow similar patterns as we study this. Uh, they're in your notes, they've already written down for you, but five things that we'll see as we study each of these churches. One, there is a characteristic of Christ within each of these seven churches. Second, there is a word of commendation that's commending the church for the good works that they are doing. The third thing, there is criticism for their sins. Fourth, there is a word of correction and a word of warning. And then fifth, there is a challenge and a promise. Again, these are seven historical churches located in Asia Minor. Um, couple, let, me, let me ask a couple of trivia questions before I move on. Um, leave those up there for just a second, Michael. Those five things. So we have a characteristic of Christ, a word of commendation, criticism for their sins, a word of correction and warning, and a challenge and a promise. Now, out of the seven churches that are listed, and let me see if I can get them right. We have Ephesus, we have um, Smyrna, we have Pergamon, we have uh, Thyatira, we have Sardis, uh, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I think those are the seven churches that we have. 
Out of the seven churches, only two of them did not receive a word of correction or criticism. Does anybody know what two churches those are? We haven't really got to that yet, but out of the seven churches, there's only two that didn't have any criticism or correction. Smyrna is one. Yes, we're going to talk about that. There is another one. Anybody have any idea? Out of the seven churches. I haven't gone to this, but just ask what? Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Yes. So those, that's kind of a good trivia fact for maybe a future, you know, question, Michael or Jones or whatever. Uh, Out of the seven churches, only two did not receive a word of criticism or a word of um, correction. Another little quick trivia question. Out of the seven churches listed, only one church did not receive a word of commendation. Which one is it? What? No. Only one church did not receive a word of commendation, commending them for their works. No. Laodicea. So Laodicea is the only church that did not receive a word of commendation, commending them for the works that they were doing. Two churches didn't receive a word of correction and warning. And we'll get to that here in just a couple weeks. Uh, And then the last lesson that we look at will be at the church at Laodicea. And again, there's so many applications with all seven of these churches that we can make to the modern day church and modern day Christians. And I'm going to have the kids help me with that lesson when we get to that because I got some things in mind. Now, there are four things quickly, kind of by way of review, that stand out when you look at how Jesus responds to his church. Now, I only mentioned three last week. I added a fourth this week, and this is the first one. First of all, it's this. Jesus knows us truly. We have to understand that Jesus knows us truly. Most of these letters begin with Jesus saying this, I know your works. Now think about that. Jesus Christ knows who we are. He knows all about us. Now there are people in here that you know a lot about your family members, right? You know the good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between. Jesus Christ knows all of that. There are a lot of things that we try to hide from other people. You know, I think about it when we come to church sometimes. It's very easy to hide the the true nature of who we are. We want people to see a perception of us that we are, you know, we have everything together. But the reality is most of us don't have everything together. But Jesus Christ knows it all. And he sees us truly. Oh, it's raining. It's like, what is that noise? What is going on? There's a flood, Justin. Get the, <laughs> it's, I don't know if something's coming on. What? Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. I don't know what he said, but yeah, okay. Um, but when Jesus says, I know your works, or I know you, it's a pretty clear picture, and it's a pretty frightening picture, because Jesus knows his churches better than they know themselves. And Jesus knows us better than he, we even know ourselves. He alone truly knows us. And as a church and a follower of Christ, we are all spiritual prone to spiritual deception. We are all prone to overestimate our spiritual condition, to think that we are fine when in reality we may be far from fine. And that's what we're going to see as we study some of these letters. You know, what I'm challenging you in this series and specifically within these seven letters is to open our ears and ask Jesus, the one who truly knows us, to speak to us and show us our blind spots. How many know what a blind spot is? Something you don't necessarily see. You think about that in driving. Sometimes you don't see a blind spot. Uh, Michael had a blind spot this week. Man, perfect illustration. Thank you for that. What? 
His whole windshield was a blind spot. Didn't see that, that uh, telephone pole coming, so it got in the way. But we understand that there, there are blind spots that you can't see, but there are blind spots in our life. And what I'm asking you and challenging you is to open your ears, listen, and maybe there's some things that Jesus wants to reveal in your life, and your heart, of some blind spots that need to be taken care of, that need to be improved. The second thing is that Jesus loves us deeply. It goes with what we talked about last week. When, when, what Jesus is doing in these letters is He is caring for the church. He, he loves the church and He cares for them. That's why He's giving words of commendation, commending them. But He's also criticizing them because He wants them to improve. He wants them to be better. You know, sometimes those of us that have kids, sometimes we have to commend them, we have to encourage them, sometimes we have to criticize them, we have to get on them, we have to correct them, right? It's not because we hate them, it's because we love them and we want what's best for them. So kids, listen to your parents when they're trying to correct you in love. If they're correcting you in hate, uh, that's another story. And You can come to me and we talk. But Jesus loves you. He loves His church. He loves you and He knows that judgment is coming for sin, for your sin. So He's graciously and mercilessly and sternly calling us away from sin. The third thing is that Jesus guards us zealously. Again, what He loves, He will guard, He will protect. And He desires to protect us, to provide for us, to help us persevere in the midst of battles every day, every week, every month. And then the fourth thing, kind of by way of introduction, is Jesus uses us purposely. Not only does He want us to sustain and strengthen us in battle. He wants to send us out on a daily basis into the front lines of the battle so that others might know His mercy, that might know His grace. There's a well-known phrase as we get to this church at Smyrna tonight. There's a well-known statement for the early, from the early history of the church that states this, the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. What? Let me ask this question. Some of you might not know what it is. But what is a martyr? What is a martyr? Yeah, someone that died for Christ. They lived for Christ and they were persecuted. And, you know, it's not just saying someone, well, someone died, they were a Christian, they were a martyr. No, someone that was actually persecuted, maybe beheaded, uh, killed because the fact that they were a Christian. And I, I say that because that was going on here in this church at Smyrna. And that phrase that I said, the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. It was given by one of the early church fathers, Tertullian, in AD 197. And it was given in actually defense of Christianity to the Roman Empire who was trying to stamp out Christianity. And, you know, there are signs of, of empires or uh, countries today that are trying to stamp out Christianity. And we're seeing it now within our own country. You know, I think Michael just talked about California and some of the churches that are struggling there. We think of a prominent church, uh, North Valley Baptist Church up there in Northern uh, California. Uh, been around for a number of years, 45 plus years has Dr. Jack Treber been there. Uh, thousands of people and uh, thousands of lives have been affected and saved and, and changed. But now every time they meet, they have a citation given to them of $5,000. That's just insane. It's insane that every time they meet, every time they worship, and if they open their mouth to sing, they're going to be charged another $5,000. That's wrong. That goes against the Constitution. But the fact is, it's, it's starting to happen in America. But there are countries all around the world that it's already happening. People are being stamped out for their Christianity. And when you study books like, how many have ever read a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs? 
Brother Alan, Miss Amanda, Michael Jones, uh, Michael, Michael and Jones, Eaton Jones, whatever. Um, uh, too many Michaels, Mikes, whatever. You, hey, whatever. Uh, but when you study books like that, if you've ever read it, uh, if you've never read it, I'd encourage you to read it. It's a, an amazing history of some of the, the early Christians and what they died for and how they died. I think it would open up our eyes to some things. Um, but when you read books like that or also books like The Voice of Martyrs, uh, you discover that the church faces three things in every age. And I want you to write this down. The church faces three things in every age. Suffering, persecution, and martyrdom. Suffering, persecution, and martyrdom. can't even hardly say that word. Some of you probably can't spell it, but it's right there. Suffering, persecution, and martyrdom. I want to read a couple facts quickly before I kind of get into the lesson tonight about some of the suffering and uh, persecution that is faced even today. Again, those books that I mentioned, the Fox's Book of Martyrs and the Voice of Martyrs, you know, talk about this. Um, but I, I think uh, back in uh, 2012, 2013, Time Magazine reported the number of Christian martyrs had doubled between 2012 and 2013. Nigeria led the way in 2012, Syria in 2013, with Iraq, Rwanda, and Sudan not far behind. Now, I want you to listen to this. There is an estimated 100 to 150 million Christians that have been martyred every year in recent decades. Some estimate that 65% of all those martyred took place since the dawn of the 20th century. These statistics do not even take into account those that have been imprisoned, tortured, and persecuted by other means. So suffering, persecution, and even martyrdom have often followed in the wake of Christianity. And we don't think about it a lot of times in America because we have freedom. But there are a lot of countries around the world that don't have the freedoms that we have. There are some of our missionaries that we support that we can't really read a full letter from them because they can't really send out a letter in fear of someone finding out when they send it through an email of what they're doing and the work that they're doing for God and can be shut down and persecuted. You know, we're going to hit this as we get to Acts chapter 4 and 5, and I can't wait for that. But, you know, Peter and John, even what they've already uh, experienced and what they've already uh, dealt with, you know, thousands being saved, they were facing or they were about to face, as we'll look at in the next couple of weeks, they were about to face some persecution. But I love what happened. I think it's in chapter 4. It might be chapter 5. But I love what happened when, when the government says, you know, or, or the, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, you know what? You know what? We're going to let you off the hook, but we don't want you talking about Jesus anymore. And what was their response? Hey, we can't help but preach and teach Jesus. We can't help but talk about the things about Jesus Christ because he has changed our life. And that should be the calling card for every Christian. That I cannot help but talk about Jesus Christ. Some of us can't even talk about Jesus Christ. We'll talk about Him here in church, but that's you know, part of this who's your one. I want to encourage us to get the gospel out because the world needs the gospel. The world needs change. You know, I, I get sick, and I don't want to necessarily go on this and dwell on this tonight, but I was talking to the guys earlier. I'm, I'm so sick and tired of like the NBA right now. And all this, you know, political agenda that they're pushing and we're boycotting games because this person died. Well, let's take a stand for the gospel. I'm not saying that someone's life is, is not meaningful, but let's take a stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ and be willing to boycott things because 
freedoms of Christianity and freedoms of religion are being uh, thrown out. Now going back to the lesson when we look at Smyrna, Smyrna, let me give you a couple quick facts and we'll get into the lesson tonight. Smyrna is a modern city uh, called Izmir. Um, and it's actually interesting tidbit. It's the only one of the seven cities in Revelation 2 and 3 that is still in existence today. Smyrna was located about 35 miles north of Ephesus in Asia Minor on the coast of the Aegean Sea. Smyrna was proud and a very beautiful city. Its coins were inscribed with the words, First of Asia in beauty and size. So they are a very proud city. Say, hey, man, we are first in all of Asia in beauty and size. Temples of Apollos, uh, Asclepius, Aphrodite, Sibylle, and Zeus dotted the landscape of this beautiful yet pagan city. The city had supported the Roman government for over 200 years and had earned the right to be the main seat of emperor worship in Asia. Now, we need to understand that when we go through these letters. Some of these cities were very steeped in, in emperor worship, worshiping a man, worshiping someone that was in charge instead of the true and living God. And around AD 23, because of her loyalty, Smyrna beat out 11 other cities for the right to build the first temple to honor a former emperor, Emperor Tiberius. You know, what a great accomplishment. Hey, we get a statue to the former emperor. Uh, but the letter of the church of Smyrna was personally written to people under pressure. And I want you to understand that. They were under pressure. They faced intense persecution. They were a suffering body of Jesus Christ. And as we jump into it tonight, the first thing we see is this characteristic of Christ. And in the angel of, of the church of Smyrna, right, verse 8, these things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. So if you want to write down this in your notes, it's this as a quick summary. The first and the last who died and came to life. That is the characteristic of Jesus Christ as He is talking to this church. And what we see is a reminder that Jesus is the eternal God. He is the resurrected Lord. And what we need to understand is that what He is saying here is that He will have the last word. No matter what is happening, no matter what persecution they are going through, Jesus Christ will have the last word. And I love the correlation that John is using here because it's very, it's very significant. It's based on culture. Remember what I just told you, that Smyrna referred to itself on its coinage, that we are first in Asia in beauty and, and size and all of that stuff. Now, John, in, 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 in verse number 8, he is kind of debunking that and saying, no, 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 it's not about you and how great you are. It's about Jesus Christ, who is the first and the last. So he's, he's kind of putting it back to him as Smyrna claimed to be first in Asia, but it's actually Christ who is first and last. Because he alone provides a superior foundation and a superior security. Again, we see Jesus' authority on full display. He experienced death for us. These things right. The first, the last, who which was dead, but is now alive. He conquered death. He won. And believers, we may face a similar road. We may, we may face death. We may face persecution. We may face suffering. But we need to understand what Philippians 1 verse 21 says. To me, to live is Christ. To die is what? It's gain. And the early church, the early Christians, they understood that. I think in America, we don't really understand that. Oh, I'll try to live for Christ, but I'm not going to die for Him. Well, what are we going to die for? I'd rather die for Christ than just die for some other cause that really doesn't mean anything. 
look, I don't want to face persecution. I don't want to face suffering. But honestly, that is one of the calling cards of this early church and the early Christians understanding that, you know what? Being a Christian meant leaving what we knew, leaving what we are, understanding that there might be a lot of persecution, there might be a lot of suffering, there might even be martyrdom, uh, we might even die, but that's okay because there is something far greater waiting for us in heaven. Far greater. You know, I, I think sometimes we have lost, I think we've lost a sense of awe of who Jesus is. You know, I've kind of made mention of this before in some of the series. You know, I think sometimes I went to a meeting last night, heard a preacher that I know well, and he was talking about indifference in the church and with Christians, and especially indifference towards Jesus. You know, when Jesus went to his own city of Nazareth, they were very indifferent towards him. I mean, they should have just elevated the guy because he was one of their own. Like, man, this Jesus guy, he is awesome. But no, no, they were very indifferent towards him. But a lot of times as Christians, we are very indifferent towards Jesus as well. And he made a statement, a quote from uh, E.W. Howe, a former pastor of the past. And he said this, nothing is wonderful when you get used to it. I want to say that again. Write that down. Nothing is wonderful when you get used to it. I'll say it again. We don't have it on the screen or anything like that, but nothing is wonderful when you get used to it. Let that sink in. Let's, let's talk about our salvation. Those that are saved and have been saved. How many remember that moment you got saved? The excitement. The sense of, wow, awesomeness. But how many of us have maybe lost that over time? I think many of us have. I know, I know I have. Oh, thanks. Appreciate that. I know I have. I know I've, I, I, there's been times where I've kind of been indifferent towards us. And you think about salvation is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Is it not? I mean, there's so many other words I can use to describe it, but it's a truly wonderful, awesome thing, awesome experience. But how many times have we just gotten used to it? We've gotten used to going to church. We've gotten used to doing certain things and it loses its wonder. And that's what happens with our relationship with Jesus. Our relationship with Jesus suffers because, eh, it's not that big of a deal. And we become, we become very indifferent towards Christ. We become very indifferent towards His church. And that's one thing that, you know, I, I fight so hard as a pastor, and, and I'm trying to fight against this indifferent attitude, this spirit of complacency, feel, feeling that we can just do whatever we want. We can just live however we want. And it's not that big of a deal. Church, it is a big deal. It's a very big deal. It's a huge deal. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. We are to live as Christ wants us to live, as He calls us to live. But how many times do we live as Chris wants to live, or Mike wants to live, or whoever wants to live, whatever your name is, insert your name. We do, because we become very indifferent towards Jesus Christ. And we have to understand that Jesus has full authority. He knows us. He knows our works. You might act the part of a good Christian, but He knows if you're a true Christian or not. He knows if you're truly saved or not. He knows if you're a child of God. He knows if you're actually living for Him. He knows those things. You can fool me, but you can't fool Him. This isn't even part of the message at all, but I don't know, I just went off on that. 
<laughs> Trust me, it's not in my notes. But man, we have, to, we have to develop that sense of wonder and excitement and awe again. That I have to live for Christ. And, 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 and there's a reason I'm saying that, I believe, because at the end of this message tonight, I'm going to give a, a story of the pastor at this church at Smyrna, a man by the name of Polycarp and what he went through and what he suffered. Just an amazing testimony. But let's continue on. The commendation to the church, the commending of the church. Verses 9 and 10, let me go ahead and read it. The Bible says, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty. Hey, I know what you're going through. But thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of, that, of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are actually of the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison. That doesn't sound too, too encouraging. That ye may be tried, and ye have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. The commendation is, is this, quickly. Tribulation, poverty, and slander. <laughs> like, how is that really commending? We'll get to that. Tribulation, poverty, and slander. Tribulation, they face trials, they face suffering, poverty. They weren't really that rich, but Jesus says, hey, you're, you're richer than you actually realize. Slandering. Don't you just love it when people slander you? Anybody? Yeah, that's like one of my favorite things. It's my sarcasm coming out. Uh, I, I've, I've loved it when people just slandered me and blasphemed me. Man, it's like, man, there's nothing like it. Praise God. Uh, anyway, let's go on. Uh, but the church at Smyrna faced this. I mean, slander and blasphemy from those that called themselves Jews, but were actually, it's pretty poignant, of the synagogue of the church of Satan. And this, this church, they needed encouragement. Imagine this. Imagine the attacks from others around them and the blasphemy and the slandering. Verse 9, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, I know what you've been through. I know what you've had to put up with. I know that you may be poor according to the world standards, but in my eyes, you are rich. You're rich because your precious faith and your willingness to stand for the Lord and for what is right, no matter what trial is going on around them. And that is a lot to be said right there. No matter what was going on around them, they still stood for Christ. They didn't have money, but you need money. No, you don't. You need Christ because in Christ, you have all the riches possible. So many of us are so focused on the riches of this earth. Who cares? It doesn't matter about that. Well, I'd rather be rich on this earth. No, you're foolish. I'd rather be rich in Christ. Because in Christ, we have all the riches we need. And what we see here is that Jesus, he's not just some distant king. He is not unable to sympathize with your weakness and trouble. He is near. He knows your trouble. Now, don't resent that sometimes he leaves the pain. He leaves the suffering. He leaves the tribulation. Be thankful that He knows and cares for you and carries you through it. And this church was going through the fire. They were slandered and blasphemed by false Jews who were really of the church of Satan. There's not, not enough time to get into that aspect. But these people were hostile. We continue on in verse number 10. Fear none of those things which thou shalt shut... Which thou... <laughs> I was not speaking in tongues. I was just, I don't know what it was. <laughs> Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. There it is. Better. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison. Again, it doesn't sound encouraging. That ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful. So what, 
what John is telling them here from Jesus is to anticipate suffering. Now, this is a letter where, listen, things are worse than they seem, but also better than they seem. You can write that down if you want. This is a letter where things are actually worse than they seem, but they're also far better than they seem. You see, this phrase 10 days is symbolic of a definite period of time, but also a limited period of time. You see, God was letting them and allowing them to go through a specific time period that they would have to endure. But he was also encouraging them to understand that it will end. The suffering you're going through will end. Suffering is inescapable. Some would have to suffer through prison or torture or even death, but it would not be forever. We move on. The criticism correction, there is none. There is no criticism for this church. There is no correction because they were faithful. And we see that, be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Verse number 10, verse number 11, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. And then the challenge we see is this. Don't fear. Be faithful. And you'll receive the crown of life and not experience the second death. Now what should our response be? Exactly what have we seen here in Revelation 2? Again, don't fear. Don't be afraid. Expect tribulation. Expect suffering. You know, here's what we need to understand. Jesus wasn't just telling them, just suck it up. Hey, suck it up. It's not what he was saying. He is challenging them to stay faithful because there is something far better waiting for them. What is that far better thing waiting for all of us? Heaven. Eternal life. So it's not a suck it up, deal with it. It's stay faithful because there is a greater, greater reward waiting for you. Now, this second death quickly refers to enjoying a sense of full gain when Christ separates believers from unbelievers at the end of history. And because of the recipients of this letter were saved, they could not be separated from God. Yet at the final judgment, this judgment seat of Christ for Christians, some Christians, listen, will experience a sense of loss despite their eternal salvation because Jesus will rebuke their unfaithfulness. But the faithful here at Smyrna And the faithful today will be untouched by any negative consequences on that day. And that's what John is encouraging them to stay faithful because there is something greater waiting for you. I know it's going to be hard on this earth, but it gets so much better. Things are worse than they seem, but they're also so much better than they seem. And I want to kind of close out with the story. Approximately 60 years after John wrote these words to Smyrna, there would be a man who would not be afraid to suffer. You know, that's what John was telling them. Hey, don't be afraid to suffer. Don't be afraid to to go through the trials. It's going to happen. There was a man that wasn't afraid to suffer. There was a man that was faithful unto death. And this man's name was Polycarp. Polycarp was the pastor of the church at Smyrna. He was a student and disciple of John who wrote this letter. Polycarp's ministry ended in AD 156. And some of the things I'm going to talk about are really kind of tragic and Uh, but we have to understand what really some Christians went through. His ministry ended in 156 AD when persecution of Christians increased, and they were tortured and thrown to wild beasts. It is related that Jews joined with heathen in clamoring that Polycarp should be cast 
to the lions or burned alive. And the Jews were foremost in bringing logs for the pile and then endeavoring to prevent the remains of the martyr from being delivered to the Christian friends for burial. It was a time of public games. The city crowded and the crowds were excited. You know, it was like a weird Hunger Games, I guess. Suddenly the shout went up, Away with the atheist! Let Polycarp be searched for. No doubt Polycarp could have escaped, but already he had a dream in which he saw the pillow under his head burning with fire, and he had awakened to tell his disciples, I must be burned alive. Could you imagine that? His whereabouts were betrayed to the persecutors by a little slave girl who collapsed under torture, and they came to arrest him. Not even the soldier captain wished to see Polycarp die. On the brief journey to the city, he pled with the old man, What harm is it to say Caesar is Lord and to sacrifice to save your life? What's the big deal, Polycarp? But Polycarp was adamant that for him only Jesus Christ was Lord. Polycarp was marched into an amphitheater where a mob was waiting to see what form of ghoulish pleasure they could get from this violent death. Brought before a Roman governor in a, on a charge of atheism, no doubt, because he would not acknowledge that the emperor was God. He was repeatedly encouraged to change his mind about Christ being the only one worthy of worship, but he could not be moved. For 86 years, replied Polycarp, listen, he said, I have been his servant, and he has never done me wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? Some Christians today blaspheme his name every day. It's another, mm, sorry. The governor reacted angrily. I'll have you destroyed by fire unless you change your attitude. Polycarp answered, You threaten me with fire which burns for an hour, and after a little fire is extinguished. But you're ignorant of the fires that are coming for you, and the judgment and the eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. Why do you delay? Bring on what you will. Now, just stop right there. He's basically calling them out and says, what's the delay? Just go ahead. (laughs) Burn me. I don't care. The governor was amazed and sent the crier to stand in the middle of the arena and announce three times, Polycarp has confessed that he is a Christian. Then a shout went up that Polycarp must be burned alive. The crowd gathered wood and threw torches Their hatred was bitter, and they cheered as this godly man was brought to the stake, and as the flames began to curl around his body, Polycarp prayed, I thank you, God, that you have graciously thought me worthy of this day and this hour, that I may be part of the number of martyrs to die for Christ. What a testimony. What a prayer, as he is literally about to burn. Lord, thank you for giving me this opportunity. And some of us can't even live for Christ. This man was willing to die for Christ. This isn't a made-up story. This is true. This is found in Fox's Book of Martyrs and other books books like that. You see, Polycarp understood what John was writing, to stay faithful. Hey, suffering's going to come, but there's something far greater waiting for you. He knew that things were worse, but they're about to be far better. He knew, as Paul said, to live for Christ, but to die is gain. Look, no one enjoys suffering and persecution, but take heart because Jesus has the final word. 
Jesus is alive forever. Jesus knows your pain. You are rich because of Christ. Who cares about the riches of this world? Too many focus on that. You are rich because of what you have in Christ. You will receive the crown of life for your faith. There's a lot of talk about crowns in the Bible. But man, the crown of life, understanding that because you are faithful, and we will overcome the second death. And there are some that won't overcome it. And there are some that are in church that won't overcome that second death because they've never truly given their life to Jesus Christ. And I close with this key truth. Suffering may seem harsh and severe, but it does have a beginning and an end. Things may seem worse than they seem, but they are infinitely better with Jesus Christ. So take heart. Take hope. I'm sure the things that you've gone through in your life are pretty difficult. You know, it's, it's almost comical when we get around each other and we start talking about all of our woes. It's like we have to one-up each other. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that's bad. But hey, listen to my story. <laughs> Look, it, it doesn't matter. They may seem worse, but with Christ, everything is so much better. So much better. So stay faithful. You know, what, what we can learn from this church is... That, you know, like, like the testimony of Polycarp. And it's a tough thing to say, but bring it on. Go ahead, bring it on. Bring on persecution. I don't really care. Bring on suffering. Bring on, bring on beheadment. Bring on uh, torture. Bring on bring, being burned at the stake. I don't really care. Because there's something far better waiting for me. And Jesus Christ will be pleased with me when I live for him and am faithful to him. You know, some of us are going to be ashamed when we go to heaven. Because we didn't live for Christ and we had the chance. He's given us a chance to live for Him on this earth. So what are we doing? Are we truly being faithful? Or again, are we about our agenda, our goals, our desires? Man, with Christ, they are so much better. And just wait, because some of these letters, I mean, they, they get intense. As we'll look at, there, there, there's one church at the end that we'll see. And really, there are similarities in, in many modern-day churches today that have similarities of some of this stuff that is going on. But when we get to Laodicea, man, that church, they were, in, they were completely indifferent. Could care less. Going through the motions. And there might be some here tonight that are going through the motions. I'm not going to necessarily give a time of invitation, but as I pray and close tonight, why don't you just bow and just pray and ask God to help you. Help you to stay faithful. Help you not become indifferent. Ask Him to help you to not necessarily, hey, bring on the suffering, Lord, but Lord, if suffering comes, help me to be faithful to you. Help me to be loyal to you. Help me to live for you. Whether I die or not, it doesn't matter because heaven is far better and pleasing Jesus is far better.